Well, hello, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you to each of our locations to the final week of In, Up, Out. Over the first two weeks, we looked at how we live in and how we live up. And this weekend, we're going to wrap up as we conclude our journey with the third and final component before we step into the Advent season and our approach to Christmas. Now, so far in our journey, we've taken some time as we began this process to look at how we first approach God. The reality is that we can enjoy his abiding presence. We are created for intimacy with him. But there's a specific way by which we can enjoy his presence. And we talk in terms and call that living loved. And we can enjoy an intimate relationship with him. Now, last week, Jeremiah helped us unpack and understand how we live in radical unity. How we live linked. And, and the deal is that we are created for healthy relationships with others. But we need to know how to do that well. If we don't do that well, it gets fairly complicated. But it positions us now to have a conversation about how we live into our daily purpose, how we live sent. And this is essential. This is critical. Because even though we're created for intimacy with God, we're created for healthy relationships with others, we are also created to give ourselves away. In fact, if you're following along your sermon note guide today, that is your first fill-in that we are created to give ourselves away. We need all three to live a life to the full. Sadly, though, many people live spiritually incomplete because they don't engage all three realities in life. They either stop or skip or avoid one or two of them, and then that positions them to really struggle. Anytime we don't engage all three, we struggle in life because we, we can't make sense of the things of God. We need all three to be able to do that. In fact, it's kind of like having a three-legged table or a three-legged stool. It's, when you have three legs to that thing, it's stable, it's reliable, it's usable. But if you remove one of the legs, if you take a leg off or take two legs off, what happens? It falls. It's no longer stable. And whenever we take one component, we say, you know what, I'm going to live loved. I'm just going to pursue intimacy with God. Well, then we become very monastical. We become like monks where our spirituality is only about us. If we take only the linked piece and say, you know what, I'm going to pursue relationship in the community in the context of the church, and I'm just going to have that great community around me, but it never expresses itself outward, well, then all we become is a holy huddle. And even if we take this outer piece and we say, I'm just going to go do good things for God, I'm going to make a difference in the world, but we don't connect it to the other two, then we're just compassionate humanitarians, and we're not living fully into the purposes of God in the way he would want us to. In fact, listen, we cannot please God, we cannot live into our full potential unless we live in the context of all three, unless we have three legs to our spirituality. Without three, our life falls over. With three, we have a launching pad to step into a life that is abundant and full. 
In fact, our salvation, the whole relationship with God, it is not a destination. It is a launching pad. It positions us to enjoy his abiding presence, radical unity, and to live into purpose with him. It's, it's a launching pad and not a destination. We get to live sent. So here's what I want to do. I actually want to dive right into Scripture. I want to look at a particular experience that one person in Scripture had. His name's Isaiah. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn with me or click to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. You're going to find it between Song of Solomon and Jeremiah. If you just find the Psalms and you keep working your way backwards, you'll hit Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we find this man who's a prophet has this really crazy cool encounter with God. He has a vision where he sees God seated high on the throne. And there's angels gathered around him. And the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. I mean, it's just this fantastic moment in the presence of God. And it's such a, such a key moment that Isaiah actually responds this way in verse 5 in chapter 6. He says, woe to me, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I mean, this is just a phenomenal moment. It's, it's so striking and so impactful that it elicits confession from Isaiah. But it doesn't stop there. Moving on into verse 6, it says this, Then one of the seraphim, that's an angel, flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And the Lord says, yes, go. This is, this is just a really great moment with lots of things to learn. But I want to focus on a sequence that Isaiah experienced. See, there's this like cleansing moment right here where he's forgiven of the junk in his life. But it didn't start there. It actually started in verse 5 with confession. When, in the presence of God, when, when Isaiah realized who he is in, in front of God, he makes this confession. And out of that confession, there is cleansing. And the deal is, you know what? We all have junk in our life. We have all made mistakes. We have regrets. We have things we wish we could take back. We, wish, we have things we wish that never would have happened in our life. But the beautiful thing is, those things can be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Because God loves us. When there is confession, then there is cleansing. But it doesn't stop with cleansing. It actually leads to calling. It happened for Isaiah. Or it's like, who will go? There was a calling moment. Isaiah says, send me. And when there is confession and there is cleansing, there is always a calling. Whenever we surrender to Jesus, we do find forgiveness. And we receive the gift of eternal life. But then we begin to walk with God. We get to live into our daily purpose. And, and saving always leads to sending. Always. In fact, you're still tracking in your note guide. When we walk with God, it means we're sent by God. To walk with Him is to be sent by Him. It, it, it doesn't matter who you are or where you're at in stage of life. It always comes down to that. And you like, yeah, really, Sean? Yes, all the time. In fact, there's tons of scriptures we can look at. We can look at Isaiah, as we just did. But one of the most specific, complete, and direct explanations of this come right comes right from the mouth of Jesus. It's recorded by the disciple John in chapter 20. And here's what Jesus said. 
He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Sending who? You. Me? Yes, me. But also you, right? He sends us. As he was sent, he sends us. So, so here's the deal. If we are going to live loved, it means we live sent. If, if we don't go, then we are... And it, we just up, it just ends up that we can be loved, but we don't actually live loved. To live loved means we go. To, to just gather a, a community of like-minded people around us and, and never have that expressed outward, that's to be sent, but not live sent. And the reality is that we are sent. The question is, will we live it? Because to walk with God is to be sent by God. And we will never reach our full potential, we will never please God unless we live into all three realities. It's essential for understanding who we are and what we do in the context of relationship with Him. Our faith should lead to action. Our righteousness should lead to justice. And your next fill-in speaks to the reality that righteousness and justice are two sides of the same spiritual coin. Righteousness and justice, it's our being and our doing. The words righteousness and justice in Scripture are very rarely ever used independently. They're, they're typically used connected and linked together. It's, it's who we are and what we do. It's being and doing. And our righteousness leads to justice. It's part of what it means to walk in relationship with Him. And if we are not, if we don't have both righteousness and justice in our life, we are not complete. We're a table with less than three legs. And life's cattywampus. So let's just go back for a moment and look at a scripture that we've looked at before. It's from Amos because it puts in context for us that in, up, and out are essential to living life to the full. And, and let's go back to it. It's in your note guide, but it's also up here. See, this is where God's saying, look, I hate your show and pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals, the solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and grain offerings. Look, he's saying, look, your show and your offerings, I, I'm rejecting them. I won't even accept your peace offerings. But he goes on to say this, away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to your music. So he's saying, look, the show, the offerings, the music is nothing if you don't have what he says he wants is to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Listen, worship is not just restricted to the center two rings. Worship is expressed in being sent. We cannot just have relationship with him and relationship with others who agree with us and not step into the sent reality and think we live in true worship. We can't do that. It doesn't work that way. The Lord doesn't want this without this. He doesn't want that without that. To not do all three is incomplete. It positions us to struggle in our relationship with Him. We will never please Him. We'll never live into our full potential unless we have all three in our dynamic. And true worship, worship is, <laughs> true worship is, is more than just a sacrifice that's about us. Worship is more than just a show. True worship is righteousness and justice combined. That's what he wants. That's what he accepts as worship. In fact, we could say that justice is our worship in action. That when we engage in the things that break his heart, we engage in the things he cares about, we engage in issues of justice, that is our worship in action. 
And whenever we seek to live out our purpose and our priorities in everyday life, (laughs) pursuing His priorities, that is worship. So if we love Him, then we will love others. And if we love others, we will go and make disciples. It's living loved expressed in living sent. They are interconnected, yet too many of us stop and we live incomplete with only one or two legs of the table of our spiritual lives. But God is very clear that it takes all three. Just look at what the prophet Micah said. Micah said this. He said, what can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn to children to pay for our sins? Listen, these are the kinds of questions we actually wrestle with. Maybe not exactly oil and rams and firstborn children, but we ask the questions like, God, what do you want? How do I please you? What are you asking from me? We ask those questions and we wonder, but Mike is getting ready to tell us he's already given us the answer. Look with me. Next verse, verse 8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Do you see something familiar here? It's in, up, out. Let me put it in a different translation. Same verse, different translation, gives us a little different perspective. Here we go. But he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just to your neighbor. Be compassionate and loyal in your love. And don't take yourself too seriously. Take God seriously. Does this sound familiar? I mean, this is, it's in, up, out. Do justice. Be loyal in your love. Walk humbly with your God. If we're going to live into the full potential God has given us, this is how we do it. All three. Now, here's the thing. It really seems crazy to me that God has chosen to do it this way. Honestly, that he has chosen to use us this way. In some ways, I'm not really sure fully why. Because we mess this up all the time. It almost seems like it would have been better or easier just to have let Jesus stay here rather than do the whole ascension to heaven thing. Let Jesus walk around and say, hey, I'm Jesus, follow me. Like, yeah, great, let's do that. Instead of using us. But that's not what God did. Because he wanted to send two things. First, he needed to send the Holy Spirit. And then he wanted to send us. He sends us. Out of our love for him to go love others, to make the most of every opportunity. Sent out. But that takes time. It takes courage. It takes a willingness to do life with people where we interact with people as people and not projects. Because it's impossible to really love them unless we deal with the stuff in their life. And if you're still tracking your note guide, it takes us to this, that it's impossible to love someone without addressing the issues they face daily. You can love God. And you can go do good stuff, but you don't, you, if you're going to love people, it means addressing the issues daily that they face, the stuff that they're dealing with. And that's way more complex than keeping our distance, having a holy huddle. It's dynamic. It's even messy. It does take time and it takes courage. But let me tell you, it is worth it. It's worth it. In fact, let's just take a moment to hear from one of our missional partners. It's one of our partners that are living sent overseas. It's the McFrederick. So check this out. We are Jason and Crimson McFrederick. We've been serving in the Czech Republic for just over 10 years now. 
We're in Brno, which is the second largest city after Prague. It's a city of about 400,000 people, and the suburb or area we're in on the edge is about 40,000 people, and we're the only evangelical work in that area of 40,000 people. Czech is known for being a predominantly atheistic nation, and so most people that you would talk with or interact with would identify as atheist or at least agnostic, and they come from probably at least two or three, maybe more, generations of atheistic families. Our platform in the country is a nonprofit organization, which is, which is called MIOC. We still have this English school that's under MIOC, and we've heard all kinds of comments about how people feel like they can be themselves there, they can share their concerns, and people really, really care. Czechs are, are nature people. They just love to be outdoors, and they absolutely love camps. We've had campers that have been with us and come year after year, 10 years, eight years. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And some of them still say, well, I don't believe that. I'm still an atheist, but they come, and usually just we see walls and those barriers drop year after year. It takes time for these kids, and yet we're seeing them want mm -hmm. to be bold right after they become believers. And uh, we see some really neat leadership development uh, things happening there with these new believers. Our vision in Czech is to ignite a movement of church planning by making disciples who make disciples. Because we really understand that in order for church planting to be a movement, it's got to come down to the individuals who understand that as a disciple, it's their job to disciple another. Who will then disciple another? And this is in the context of relationships, life on life. Not necessarily, let's go through this program, and now you've, you're a graduated disciple, mm. but we see so much more the value of the long journey with people, um, day in and day out. It's more about how are we following, who are we as disciples, how are we actively growing, and then just drawing other people in it. Heritage friends, you guys are amazing. Some of you have come and helped join right alongside us in ministry in Czech. Some of you have prayed with us and for us, and many of you have given to help with tangible projects like our playground at our ministry center, or you've given to our personal support, or helped our national workers since really our journey began. And you've sent out two from this body, two of your own, to serve with us for a longer time. Bobby and Shannon Carr finish up their two-year term this December. Thank you, Heritage, for helping us go be love in the Czech Republic. You are awesome. Listen, yeah. Listen, the Fredericks are loving God, loving others, and making disciples. And I love their heartbeat for the long-haul view. They're committed to the dynamic, messy reality of living sense. And your faith promise giving allows people like them at Fredericks, our partners, to continue to do work around the world. And I ask you to continue to pray for each one of them. But there's a subtle truth in this conversation about sent, that if those who are sent are all missionaries. It, it doesn't matter. It's not just those who are overseas. We all are to be living on mission, and every true follower of Jesus is a missionary. So where you live and where you work, that's your mission field. It's the place that you are to love God, love others, and make disciples. And it's impossible to love others unless you're willing to address the issues they face daily in their life. That's the scent reality. That's what living scent means. We engage the issues in the lives of people and draw them into relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Now, I realize that we all have a limited emotional capacity. We, we cannot carry or even care for every need. <laughs> and yet, technology brings before us information from around the globe in a matter of minutes all the time. That's a reality. So, we have the connectivity to know more than we can actually embrace. It's a very unique time for us as human beings that we have more information than we can actually emotionally and mentally wrap our heads around. That's a problem. Because if we're not careful, we can end up not caring. We can actually choose to embrace too little or none at all. And then we lose the heartbeat of God. And I wonder where you tend to stop in your caring. Maybe just do this with me, just exercise, just think this way. If someone were to attack you, would you care? Yes, of course you'd care. If somebody were to attack your family, would you care? Absolutely. What if somebody attacked your neighbor? Would you care? Yeah. What about your neighbor down the street in a different house? Probably. What about a house across the river? What about a house in a different country? A house in a different continent? One in Paris? Or one in Syria? At what point do you no longer care? At what point does God no longer care? See, our, our God is never apathetic. And we shouldn't be either. The problem is, again, we don't have the emotional capacity to care for every burden that we're aware of. And we don't grieve the things we're not connected to. Studies say we actually only have the capacity to meaningfully engage with about 150 people. Beyond that, we tend not to care. So we can hear about a tragedy somewhere else and not respond, not engage, not even pray. If God doesn't do that, and connecting to his heart means we can't either. When we live loved and linked and sent, in, up, and out, it changes us. When we abide in his presence and we live in radical unity, when we live on mission, God begins to work in and through us. But it is far too easy to get caught up in personal comfort, to get caught up in ethnocentric fears, political rhetoric, and we can forget who we represent. We can forget that we are sent by Jesus. Forget that we represent him. And we can end up caring more about ourselves and our comfort and our reputation more than his. And when we care more about our, rep our reputation than God's, then that reveals the depth of our immaturity. Look, instead of seeking to preserve our comfort in this world, we need to live the words found in Hebrews. It says this in Hebrews 13. So let us go out to him outside the camp, him being Jesus, and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. My friends, 
in a world full of tons of brokenness and all kinds of heartbreak and all kinds of darkness, don't forget to do good. Don't forget to continue to share with those in need. Look, it's, it's clear that if we love him, we will love others, and then we will go out and we'll make disciples. If you spend any time in the, in the Bible, you've spent any amount of time in the context of a church family, you know this, it's a no-brainer. But more often than not, we struggle to live into it. And I think the issue has less to do with willingness as it has to do with readiness. I think it's more an issue of readiness. I just don't think we're ready. We're not living with a sent perspective. Something happens, an opportunity arises, and we miss it. If I were to take my iPad and just throw it out to you, you probably wouldn't catch it because you're not ready. You might be now because you're thinking about it. Oh, I'd get it. But I think readiness is as much an issue as willingness, if not more. Because if we don't know what we're looking for, we miss it. Let me help you think about it this way. Check out this picture here, okay? What do you see there? Just a field, right? What if I told you that in that picture are 500 sheep? There are. Can you see them? How about with this next picture? Any better? Do you see them? Maybe. How about the third picture? Oh, okay. Maybe start to see a few of them. Fourth picture? Oh, yeah. There they are. Listen, listen. We don't see them because we're not ready. And if you're like me, you're looking for white sheep from the very beginning. But they're brown. And the reality beyond that, when we're not sure what we're looking for, or, or we see there's just so many, we have a hard time discerning exactly what's happening there, seeing clearly, or we see so many, we get overwhelmed. And that same thing can happen when we talk about scent opportunities. We don't know what we're looking for, or we see so much, we just get overwhelmed, and we don't know what to do. That can happen. But listen, the kind of influence God wants us to have overcomes that, and it, he wants us to have the kind of influence where our heart is broken for the things that break his heart. And when we have that kind of posture, then we have the influence and the luxury of being a person who's yielded and ready. Influence, the kind of influence God has for us, is a luxury of someone who's yielded, surrendered, and ready, expectant, knows what they're looking for, postured forward saying, God, I'm ready to step with you, to be used by God. In fact, let me just take a moment to talk about what it looks like to be ready. When I was in the military and I was in law enforcement, I was taught to uh, think about situational awareness, to, to look at a situation you're in and to have a level of awareness that allowed you to respond to whatever you were dealing with. Now, a guy named Cooper put this into a series of colors and bracketed them into stages. Let me just walk through them real quick. The, the first level is white, and white is where we're unprepared and unready to take action. This is where we're relaxed and completely unaware. This is probably how you're usually sitting in front of the TV, like you're just white, all right? But the next level of awareness is yellow. It's where we're prepared and alert, but still relaxed. And it's this good level of situational awareness. It's where we're seeing, it's where we're looking and assessing. And let me tell you, Adults automatically step into this when they have kids and become parents. You just automatically start to assess and aware, what are my kids doing, where are they at, what is, what's happening. It happens, and it's really this element of alertness and attention that prevents us from being totally surprised. So then the next level is orange. This is where there's an alert to probable danger. You're ready to take action. That means something or someone has captured your attention. It's, it's identified that you've got something of interest where something that's not right, that may or may not be a problem, but at least you're thinking about it and you're aware of it. And from orange, now we're positioned to actually step into red, which is action, taking action. In a dangerous situation, you're able to focus on the emergency, you're able to take cover or defend yourself, or literally just be so focused you can actually respond in a healthy way. 
Because the next phase in that is to step into black, which is panic. It's, it's to be overwhelmed. It's sensory overload. And, and readiness, being ready to engage things that happen around us, happens when we live in yellow. When we live expectant. Readiness is a luxury of those who live with the perspective of, I'm ready for more. Without that, we go from white, which is where most people hang out, totally oblivious, and try to jump to red. And it doesn't work. We either miss it altogether, we overreact, we, we respond too late, or we just get overwhelmed and we shut down. This happens all the time. It happens when you're driving. <laughs> you should function in yellow when you drive. <laughs> Orange when somebody's being a knucklehead. Red, never mind. Okay, so it happens all the time, but it also happens in the spiritual world. And if we're going to live sent, if we're going to be in a posture to live fully sent out, we should be living in yellow, expectant for what God wants to do, looking at where he's working, asking him how he wants us to respond and step into that. It's key because the influence he wants us to have is a luxury of those who live both surrendered and ready. And too many of us miss the opportunities because we're hanging out in white and we're oblivious and we're not even looking. It's readiness. So let's move this to kind of so what realities. Whether you're a student, whether you're a business professional, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, you're a skilled laborer, you're an educator, you're retired, if you follow Jesus, you are already sent. God has said, who will go? And you have a decision to make whether you say, here am I or not. In fact, what I see happening right now in the context of the church, the big C church, is that I think many in the big C church are choosing to hunker down in the center two rings. They're seeking to take a posture of preserving the relationship they have with God and the relationship with those that they like, care about, or are connected to. And they're just hunkering down. They're choosing comfort and pursuing their own comfort over pursuing his purpose. I see this most often happening in a lot of different issues right now, honestly, but most often right now I see it even in the response to the refugees. The refugee response. Where people are choosing their own comfort out of some kind of fear or some kind of even pride Pursuing their own comfort rather than pursuing his purpose, which I find incredibly ironic because we're getting ready to step into a season where we're going to celebrate the birth of a child whose Middle Eastern parents had to flee their home country and seek refuge in another country. That would be Mary and Joseph taking Jesus to Egypt. Yet many within the church are choosing to protect themselves and preserve their own comfort rather than pursue his purpose. But listen, that does not reflect the heart of God. And anytime we take away one of the legs, there's an instability to our spiritual life. And we are first and foremost citizens of his kingdom. Then we're citizens of the world. And then we're citizens of this great country that I love. We're going to need to talk more about that reality as a church. How we live in this world but not of it. But for now I want you to understand that... Just as Jesus was sent, he sends us. Therefore, we are sent to the brokenhearted. We are sent to the least, the last, and the lost. We are sent to those in need, and that should impact and change the way that we live. And the question you may be asking is, okay, Sean, how do I actually live that way? How do I live sent out and ready each day so God can do what he wants to do through me? Well, I want to give you two things to consider to see if you're actually doing. 
The first is to prove or be found faithful. To be found faithful. Here's what the scripture says related to that. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It's out of 1 Corinthians 4. Look, we are stewards in this life. The life we live in this world is no longer ours. We live it for him and we are to be found faithful. So I wonder if you're ready and found faithful right now. I wonder if you're prepared to respond to the things that he cares about. God cares about people. God cares about the issues in the world. And he's not really asking, he's telling when he says, go. When he sends. So when God brings an opportunity in front of you, be willing and ready. Don't worry about your reputation. Worry about his reputation. It is so easy to get comfortable in life to separate ourselves from people who, who are different from us. It's, it's easy. It can even feel good because then nobody's messing with our comfort. But God does not call us to be comfortable. He calls us to go out, to live radically dependent on Him. So that means family gatherings, even like the ones coming up around Thanksgiving this next weekend, are opportunities to communicate the love of God. When you visit a service garage and you're interacting with the mechanics, that is an opportunity to share and represent the love of Christ. When we're on the phone with a service provider or a politician to address one of these issues in the world, this is another opportunity that we are sent to be found faithful. You meeting a repair person at your home or joining a sports team, standing in line for food, having a conversation in a classroom, helping someone in crisis and suffering, these are all opportunities to live sent to be sent. So be found faithful. Be found faithful. It's required. The next part of this is to use your gift. Use your gift. We find this in 1 Peter. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So the deal is we've all been given different gifts. We each have different gifts, but we also all have the Holy Spirit power in us. And that is so much power with so often has so little understanding how to use it and what to do with it. But listen, you are uniquely you. You have gifts, talents, and abilities that God has given you. There are things that only you can do, parts that only you can play. And you don't have to own every burden, carry every need or crisis. You just have to engage the ones God wants you to in obedience, being found faithful, using the gifts he's already given you. <laughs> but you have to believe that he wants and can use you as an agent of love and power in this world to change lives. And I wonder if you do. Do you believe that he wants to do that in and through you? If so, then live in and up and out. All three. Because when you do that, you get to join a holy God and holy work. And it's awesome. And what God calls us into when we live out is he's calling us to trust him in such a way that we're not afraid to put ourselves in a situation that if he doesn't show up, we're in big trouble. I'm not talking about risking frivolously or carelessly. I'm talking about risking big for God, where we ask and invest in people. We invite them. We love them. We give. We go above and beyond. We walk the extra mile. All the things that Jesus talked about, we use our gifts, the things that we have. Be willing to use your gift. Because he's positioned you somewhere to live sent right now. And I wonder where that is. I wonder where he has positioned you to actually live sent for him. I wonder where God has positioned you to live sent for him. If you're still here, means you still have life, your heart's still beating, you still have breath going in and out of your lungs, even if it's not all that great right now. 
Listen, it's either because he's waiting for you to be saved, to come into relationship with him, because he doesn't want you to perish and spend eternity apart from him. Or if you've already accepted his son Jesus, then he's wanting you to be sent. So where has he positioned you to live sent for him? Where? Whenever God takes us someplace that we've never been, it's often because he wants to lead us into something and make us into something we never knew we could be. So where has he positioned you to live sent for him? If you're still here, what's next? He leads us to places to encounter people where we can join him in the work that he's doing to show love and mercy and grace. So stay alert. Look for opportunities to, to engage people, to be faithful. You don't have to wait to be older, trained, asked or told. If you follow Jesus, you're already sent. You just need to live it. Because when we live this way, when we live in his abiding presence and in radical unity, it inherently leads to this daily purpose. When we love him and love others, we go and we make disciples. We love and care for people of this world in a manner that allows them to know his love. And this is, this is so woven through scripture. It is, it is written on the pillars of the church to love God, love others, and go and make disciples. And I wonder where he's positioned you to live sent for him. Wherever that is, step boldly because somebody's spiritual journey depends on it. Will you be a person who lives both in and up and out? The choice is yours. He's never going to make you do this, but he's positioned you to do it every day of your life. Let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that for whatever reason you have chosen to not only invite us into relationship with you, but to give us a purpose that takes us out. Father, I pray that you forgive us for when we've wandered, when we've tried to make worship less than what it is, made it about us, made it about a show. Father, forgive us when we have neglected your heart for justice. We've neglected the needs around us. Lord, it can be so overwhelming. There's so many hurts and pains and wounds in life, but, but the reality is, Father, we don't have to engage them all. We just need to engage the ones you're asking us to step into because you have positioned us among people and in places where you want to use us for your glory. So, Father, for those who have professed faith in Jesus, I pray that you would very clearly reveal what next steps are for where we're supposed to engage in this world with your love. And for those that have not yet stepped into relationship with you, Father, I pray that even now they would take the time to have a conversation where they come to understand your love and they receive new life through Jesus Christ. I love that you allow us to experience that and then you give us purpose. So I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.